You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa, nature's catalyst for optimizing fat metabolism. Hi, this is Peter Defty. Welcome to the Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. And uh, today's guest is my parallel person in um, Ireland and who's been coaching for years, um, almost as long as I have, on on fat adaptation. And this is the eminent uh, Barry Murray. Um, Barry, welcome to the show. Hey, Peter. Thanks for finally um, inviting me on. Finally. <laughs> well, I'd like to have you, I would have loved to have had you on sooner, but I'm glad that we, we finally connected because um, I don't know if the audience knows, but um, way before fat adaptation and keto and all this uh, stuff got very trendy and popular, or, or at least popular within uh, a certain range of, of athletic athletics, um, Barry and I was, were sort of the lone voices in the woods who were out there coaching and talking about this openly and verbally. Um, I knew about Barry years ago because through uh, a mutual friend of ours, Nick Hawks, I think that might have been, I, I think I'd heard about you earlier, but I think Nick kind of cemented it. You were out there coaching this way. Because uh, you coached Nick successfully to a Leadville finish, correct? That's right. Yeah, just a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went running with him about a month before, um, and um, so this was this was actually I think it was three or four years ago because I remember this was before the whole what was it 2013 maybe somewhere around there because I remember it was before, you know, keto and fat adaptation became, you know, more mainstream, shall we say? Well, recognized at least maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, we still have a long ways to go as you were saying earlier when we were talking that, you know, the mainstream completely still doesn't get it, but, but there is a a growing, um, a growing movement within sport about fat adaptation. So, um, okay, so welcome to the show. Barry, I'd like you to do do the talking here. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and tell us about your journey because these things always start with uh, a personal journey and then lead to uh, a passion. Um, and so take it away. Yeah, my journey's a little bit different. And uh, yeah, feel free to... Um hop in with any questions as I go along here, but um, I'm definitely still on the journey, but where I started, I guess, is a little bit different to where a lot of people start in this game, and that's, you know, uh, when I finished what they say in America is high school, we say secondary school, I um, I went to university to study chemistry. Um, you know, they did my when, 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 when was that? Oh, that was back in 19... 19- 1995, I think. I did a four-year bachelor bachelor of science, and I did I majored in chemistry. And um, when I finished in Ireland, the pharmaceutical trade was, you know, taken off. A lot of the uh, other big American pharmaceutical companies were setting up for tax reasons in Ireland. So um, 
Anyway. Was well, this was the era of the Irish Tiger, right? Yeah, you know, going into yeah, going into the year two thousand, and the uh, the Celtic Tiger was starting to prowl. Um, and anyway, so that's that's the industry I went into with my chemistry head on. And uh, after four years, um, and that's a yeah, bit of a long story, but basically. I was working as a formulation chemist, as a process development chemist in, you know, solid dose manufacturing of everything from an antidepressant to a to a heart pill. Um, anyway, I just lost interest in the corporate world and working in, you know, for the man and following all the red tape and the politics involved in that kind of a world. And uh, I started were, doing were you, were you always were you always sporty before that? Sorry? Were you always sort of a sporty guy? Were you pursuing, you know, through secondary school? Yeah, my sport, I mean, I started playing, my main sport was soccer when I was like six years of age. I started playing for um, the local team and I got quite serious with soccer into my teenage years and was playing for some of the best teams in Dublin. And yeah, it was soccer training, you know, twice a week with the team, playing a match at the weekend. And when I went, when I left school and went to university, I started just doing some gym work and some running like 5Ks just to keep fit. And it wasn't until I left university and started working full time that my interest, I just thought triathlon was like, you know, the bee's knees. I was like, just thought it was cool that you could do three sports in one. And uh, that's the, my first proper endurance sport I probably did was it was um I'd, I'd been running kind of like up to 10 miles at that stage but started doing triathlon um in my early 20s and um it was through that that i got an interest in just nutrition and what to eat to make you uh you know recover and go faster and um keep you healthy and but the big difference with what i was looking at was I just wasn't really interested in the macros and the calories and all that. I had, I was just, I guess, um, I was a bit of a science nerd back then with my job, and I wanted to look at the bonds in, you know, an amino acid, and I wanted to look at the structure of a, um, you know, a molecule of glucose, and I wanted to know what omega three meant and what free radical meant and what oxidation and what reduction so I was looking at everything related to nutrition at that time through with a you know through a chemi chemistry lens or a biochemistry lens you know um anyway uh, after my four years at the corporate world I someone suggested to me that Barry you look uh, life is too short and um, if you want to do what you're interested in Sports nutrition is an up-and-coming field, and uh, there was nowhere really in Ireland to do it. But the big, the nearest place to me was in Eng England, in a university called Loughborough, which is it's quite well known over here in Europe. And um, they had a uh, masters of MSc program in uh, sports and exercise nutrition. So I um, sent in my my application, got accepted, and then left the job and became a student again for. For a year, full-time student, moved over to England, um, oh, cool. and that's when I started learning the textbook stuff. 
you know, from everything from um, the Krebs cycle to, um, you know, protein and um, recovery and hydration and, yeah, all the textbook stuff. And just started getting into reading papers and, you know, learning about abstracts and methods and all that kind of stuff and did my own thesis um, for my master's program. And uh, then got it, Loughborough is a great place if, for just sport because you've got the English Institute of Sport based there. You've got, you know, 50-meter swimming pool, uh, track, indoor-outdoor track. Um, a lot of the tra English triathletes are based there. Um, so I got to just know a lot of sportsmen and sportswomen and then um, a lot of the academics and a lot of the employees with the English Institute of Sport I used to go out you know riding my bike with or running with so it was a great learning ground for me it was like my the ultimate apprenticeship after I finished my um, master's I ended up staying in Loughborough for a few years and working part-time in a health food store with a little office at the back doing just consultations with local athletes and university um, athletes um, and that's that's when I really, I, I will say it was when I finished my master's that I really started learning properly about nutrition because it was something about the textbook stuff that I knew just wasn't quite right and there was just more to it. So I really started delving into more of the modern literature and that just, that came through, you know, what everyone does is into this type of stuff is just, you know, I started getting into just various podcasts and ordering books off Amazon and reading articles that other people that, you know, various different doctors and gurus. Uh, paleo was coming out at the time quite big. So I was, you know, following a lot of guys like Lorian Cordain and then Rob Wolf stuff. And then, um, you know, I started looking at just general health and general nutrition as opposed to just the specific sports stuff as well, you know. And yep. so, and I, like I said to you, it's like I wasn't looking at, at the food, I, like I'm big into my food, but I wasn't looking at the the traditional diet dietary analysis of, of, of nutrition. I wasn't looking at calories and grams and macros as such. I was, I was, I wanted to know what happens biochemically with stuff, with, 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 with food once you eat it what what actually happens uh in the cell um what reactions occur how do those reactions occur what enzymes do what what receptors do what what hormones do what and um yeah i just started learning myself you know the best way i guess to um you know become an expert at anything is to self-educate yourself so yeah, but you you went down the the full blown rabbit hole rather than the copy and paste Doctor Google online guru route, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's what allowed me to understand things better. Was I have my backing, my background of chemistry and biochemistry from you know from my my first degree, and then I have my sports nutrition theory from my masters. Um, that gave me a fairly solid base then to go uh, go into the you know self learning process you know um, so 
Yeah, I mean, so after my master's, I'm, you know, in my, I was there, it was 30 or 31 at the time. So that's like eight, eight, nine years ago now. Um, and I have spent the last, you know, I, I finished university, I finished my master's, stayed in Loughborough, started working casually with, with other athletes. And then more, I just started focusing more and more on nutrition uh, for endurance because I started running longer. I started getting into the, you know, crop, the, the hills in, in the local English hills where I was living. Really started enjoying running in the mountains. And, uh, yeah, and this this was also coincidentally when the ultra running market kind of started to take off because Dean Carnassus published his book around what two thousand six or seven his exactly. first book and Would it was a believe? bestseller. Yeah, yeah, his book, um, his book Confessions what, of an Ultra Marathon. Yeah, Man, it's what was. got me into um, ultra running. Actually, I mean, I was reading about his chocolate covered coffee beans and stuff like that. Um. So yeah, I, I actually read his book and started getting into I couldn't believe that you could do this, you know, running over, you know, 100 kilometers, 100 miles kind of stuff. I thought it was crazy at the time. Um, and then I started just getting into endure, you know, efficiency, if, energy efficiency uh, for endurance, because that's essentially what endurance, optimizing endurance is all about. And that led me to looking at, you know, our metabolism in terms of, you know, how it works in terms of energy production in the cell and the Krebs cycle. And um, I then just became more and more intrigued by what I was reading about insulin at the time. And, and then what I understood about the metabolic pathways, I started looking at lipolysis and then beta oxidation. And then I came across a couple of papers that had shown that training fasted upregulated beta oxidation and fat oxidation pathways. So for one of the first things I was I thought was, you know, interesting and I wanted to try it was just like cycling uh, at the weekend. I was going out for three hours with the local cycling group and I wanted to just go I I was used to just always applying the kind of, you know, eat beforehand, keep it the, the most advanced I had got at that stage. This was like, you know, uh, 2010 or so, was stay low, low carb, but low GI, you know, low glycemic index. Um, so, you know, I was having my bowl of porridge or oatmeal, as you call it in the US, and that was... For you know, for a while I was taught that was the best free long distance training food to have, and it wasn't until I read about you know upregulating fat oxidation that I realised, hang on, you can do things like hit AMP kinase, and that triggers a response to upregulating the ox, the you know the transporters and the enzymes for fat oxidation. So. I started turning up at my local long long bike ride with, you know, having just eaten no breakfast and then maybe a banana or some sort of bar in my back pocket. And um, yeah, I, I started feeling, you know, I started doing it very regularly and I became 
became um, an obsessive thing that I was, I was just like, I could not believe the difference that not having breakfast prior to doing things, long stuff, was having. Um, and I was doing more and more research into it, learning, learning more, and then getting more and more, I guess, uh, um, rec- recommendations from other athletes saying, you know, go to Barry if you want to learn about endurance nutrition and the cyclists started catching on then. So a lot of the cyclists in England then started coming to me and um, you know, this was like a year or two after my, my master's, I was started working more and more with like amateur and semi-professional type cyclists and um, then my, you know, my, because like, you know, doing stuff like timing your carbohydrates and doing long training rides fasted back then was, you know, crazy. I mean, the English Institute of Sport recommendations were, you know, eight to 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilo of your body weight. So if you're, you know, an endurance athlete training um, big volume, and that's still the recommendation today. And as you know, if you're 80 kilos, and you're aiming for 10 grams of carbohydrate per, per kilo of your body weight. That's 800 grams of carbohydrate a day. I, you know, I remember I actually tried it, tried to hit that myself one day, and I just physically couldn't eat all the bloody, you know, the, the food that you have to eat to hit that number. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So, um, more and more, my uh, my methods, so to speak, because these methods. Or, you know, I'm still talking about them today and they're, they're news to people. But back then, it was like crazy. Um, yeah, so I, as I said, I started getting more and more interest from the uh, endurance athletes, particularly the cyclists. And anyway, long story short, my uh, friend of mine was working with um, the English track cycling team, the British track cycling team, who were, you know, as you know, they're pretty successful, won a lot of Olympic medals and stuff like that. And, he recommended me to an English professional cyclist, Steve Cummings is his name. And um, Steve Cummings then got in touch with me looking for advice and consultation. And I ended up just, yeah, I just, he was living in Italy at the time and started working with him and I started using a lot of my methods with him and things started working very well for him as well. He's just a genuine guy, really interested in his food and always looking for just the best way to train and do, you know, uh, do things properly as a professional cyclist. So, um, you know, he, he, he was, he was riding for team sky at the time and then he moved to BMC and he then recommended me to the staff at BMC and they hired me then, um, in the year 2012, 2013. Um, and I got, yeah, I got a contract with them for a year. Um, I moved over to Italy myself near France in Tuscany. And that then uh, put me into the world of professional cycling. So there I was with guys like Cadell Evans, uh, you know, sitting across from me at the, the breakfast table. Um, and various other well-known cyclists who... You know, who were then starting to come my way and listen to what I had to say and start practicing 
you know, unconventional ways. Because, like, people think professional cycling is very advanced, but their nutrition is still very dogmatic, you know? So I was, you know, here I was thinking, I'm working with some of the fittest, best endurance athletes in the world. They're going to know a lot of my stuff, but very few of them knew knew anything really related to bad adaptation or um, or even just general good nutrition habits, you know. And so anyway, I got, you know, I got some guys into it at the time. I was considered left to center when I was with BMC even. Um, some of the Wait, doc- was Dr. Was Max Testa uh, the team doctor at the time? Yeah, Max Testa, yeah, he was and he still is. Um, he... What I will say is, my first day, he came up to me and he mentioned keto adaptation to me, and I actually didn't hadn't referred anything. I I wasn't looking into ketosis at that time yet so much. I was really really focused on fat adaptation. But Max Tess is a clever guy, and um, he 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 knew I was onto something at the time. But I think. Yeah. He, he you, you know where he you know where you heard about it <laughs> was it i know he lives over in the states so he's he in he lives in he lives in park city but but actually one of my my not my mentors in fat adaptation but my mentors in a lot of sports physiology was was dr franco Navazio and they were close friends so max chats actually heard, first heard about all this from me i'm wanting to say Probably 2008 or 2009, he started hearing about it. Okay. Um, and then I gave him copies of Finney and Volek's books when they came out in 2011 and 2012. Okay. You know, and that's that's why he was using the word keto adaptation because that would have been the time he'd gotten those books and saw there was actually some legit science. But I've been he'd been listening to me every time we got together with Dr. Navazio. Because um, we used to go to this camp in Moab, Utah, and, and he'd be there, and I'd always be talking about this this crazy fat adaptation to everybody. And but we had some athletes, actually, some mountain bikers who were like really performing superbly on this thing. And and but yet, you, you know, everybody would politely listen, but you could tell they just couldn't couldn't buy into it, right? Yeah. And so Max politely listened and, you know, it's just kind of, he's been, he's been following the whole thing for the, for a long time. So right. yeah, that's how that all came about. Yeah. So what I would say is he was, I knew he was interested, but the situation with the professional cycling world at that time was they just weren't ready for, you know, for making basically a U-turn on, you know, the, the standard, you know, Eat about a pasta three hours before every race, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you know when when you talk about that, I think when you look at Team Sky's trajectory, like Dr. Morton, there, you know, he started implementing this coincidentally, and I I don't think this was coincidence. I think it 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 was timed with the Art and Science Low Carb Performance coming out. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Team, Team Sky were in touch with me as well when I finished with BMC. They knew what I was doing. Right. As Martin has read some of my stuff, I think. He knows He knows what I've Yeah, yeah so, they, you know. Well, yeah, so when you follow the timeline, it's like, it's like 
lockstep with the art and science of low car performance coming out, you working with the cyclists and, you know, it was the early stages. And, and as you and I both know, there's limitations to straight up keto. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, at that time, I was looking at ketosis only as a sideshow to what was really going on, and I and um, right, well, it is a side. You know, you and I know both know it is a sideshow. Yeah, oxidation is doing, yeah, doing is. heavy lifting. It is, and you know, we've got here we are, here we are, kind of ten years down the line of what we started looking at, uh, looking at, and yes, you know, there's a there's a there's a market for for ketosis, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, and that's the thing that you and I probably have in common is when I started looking, same thing, when I started looking at the metabolic pathways back in early 2000, you know, I had no idea. And, and what struck me was beta oxidation. It's like, how do you get this to really go? Because you're cleaving off, you know, over 100 ATP just continuously when you get that work in, whereas, you know, ketones and glucose just are, are just you know, they're, they're, they're quick, quick metabolizing, but they're just very short on the ATP scale. Yeah, totally. I mean, my whole focus at that time, and it pretty much still is, but yeah, here I was working with some of the best cyclists in the world. I was really getting to grips with the theory of fat adaptation and what, you know, looking at everything related to beta oxidation. So, I, but I wasn't just doing it in terms of like, in the tech, uh, I wasn't just following the textbook, so to speak. I, and then what I was doing is, you know, putting skin in the game is what I like to say. Is in, I wasn't just preaching it; I was practicing it then as well. And at yep. that time, I really was getting good at ultra marathons. I mean, I represented Ireland in the 2011 ultra, the world ultra trail championships, and that kind of kickstarted me into going you know, maybe I can do quite well at these. And when I was living in Italy, I had entered into a couple of races over there. One of them was a 125-kilometer race. It was called the Abbott's Way in the mountains, you know, 5,000 meters or 6,000 meters of climbing. And I had three meals the day before that. And those three meals were like, I had eggs and steak and eggs for breakfast. I had some like salad and... um pork at lunch at lunchtime and then my dinner was like uh, homemade beef burgers with some veg i got up in the morning and i had a coffee and i went to the start line and i won the race in 14 hours and now this is like five years ago when that kind of thing no one was really no one was really kind of doing that sort of stuff and i was winning Okay, it wasn't like UTMB or any of the big high-profile races, but I was still winning these races, doing stuff that was completely against the books, you know. Um, and it was around that time when I also started following um, a guy over in the U.S., a doctor over in the U.S. called Jack Cruz. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I heard heard him first on a podcast with a guy. Uh, are you familiar with a guy called Sean Croxton? I think Underground Wellness is his company. In I think he's in the West Coast. You know him? No, I don't. I think I've heard the name. Yeah. Anyway, 
heard the podcast, and anyway, if anyone who's listening has ever heard of Jack Cruz, they're going to know that his stuff is way off the scale of just nutrition and and even it's it's way ahead of any standard academic textbooks or anything. I mean, you're talking about a guy who operates on people's brains and spines. He's a neurosurgeon. And um, I started reading his stuff and something clicked because what he was writing, I was sort of feeling, so to speak. And in the back of my mind, I knew what he was coming out with was what I had, what I was missing in terms of, he started looking at other aspects of, let's call it biology, other than the, the chemistry and the, the reactions and the, the enzymes and stuff. He started looking at, you know, really, um, let's call it holistic stuff, but just um, kind of laws of nature, let's call it approach. He was looking at the effects of magnetism and cold and light on our cells and um anyway i started writing um, a blog on his um on his forum it's called fasted state training adaptations and i just kicked off with where i was at the time and where i was at the time as well as i explained i was really into the whole fat adaptation stuff i was into the fasting i was into I was winning ultramarathon races. I was working with professional cyclists, and um, all you know, I was then combining all the stuff I was learn- learning about myself and practicing myself, and then working with you know elite professional athletes. And um, I was then trying to really link all the Dr. Cruz stuff then in in with, in with what everything I was doing as well, and. Um, since then, I mean, I've obviously I, I moved back from Italy and um, moved back to Ireland. Still work, still work with professional cyclists. Started doing some work with Arca Green Edge or Arca Scott, as they're called now, is the Australian professional cycling team, and working with some of their riders. And then, um, you know, basing myself here in Ireland and doing a lot of work, which is various different uh, teams and clubs and athletes here and and um, an interesting thing that happened was I also got work with um, a different type of sport which is not purely endurance which is uh, Gaelic football if anyone any Irish people listening to this they'll know what I'm talking about but it's like it's like our uh, premiership football here in Ireland but um, yeah so you're talking about guys who are on the pitch for you know, 70 minutes and there it's a quite a high intensity sport. It's it's obviously not endurance based, but yeah, so that started giving me more of a, um, I guess it was, it broadened my range of how I was applying a lot of my stuff that I was practicing in, in that kind of sport as well. Um, and what I found, to cut a long story short, was you know, fat adaptation and a lower carb, higher fat type diet, even at a high intensity level, was beneficial and could still work if it was done right. Um, so anyway, 
still continuing the learning process myself. Like, this is the beauty of this area is that, like, the learning doesn't stop. And, um, you know, I'm kind of, like, coming up to 10 years at it, and I'm still... I'm still ordering books. I'm still reading stuff. But where I am now is, uh, like I said, um, it's not just looking at um, the fats and the carbs. I'm I'm trying to look at everything from a, a connecting the dots perspective in terms of what goes on with our, you know, pathways and what our environment does to those pathways and how our, yeah, how the whole body works from an endocrine to a physiological level to a, you know, I've even looked at what's what's happening with the different parts of the brain and things, but, and even on a, yeah, epigenetic level in terms of not just what the genes you're born with, but what genes can be expressed based on how you live and where you live and how you think and what you eat and all that kind of stuff. So it's a massive, there's lots of, as you know, big rabbit holes you can get go down. But what I will say is that um, there's more to this world of fat adaptation than people understand. And the reason why it's being misunderstood today is because people don't know the whole story and they are reducing a very complex matter. The biggest problem today is we are reductionists. We isolate things and reduce them to try and prove them. But that's not how, as you know, the body really works. And until that, that's it, right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big, big, there's, there's multiple variables and many of those variables are highly dynamic. They're not static. And, and yet, you know, we, we, we as humans tend to, like you say, reduce them down to these simple things. And what, and what people don't understand is when, when studies are done, the studies are trying to isolate a variable and control the other variables. You know, you're trying to look at one aspect and control. And, and, and there's a purpose to that, and that is to better understand the role of that thing. But you, when you apply it to the real world, you have to step back and see how that applies that one Thing you're studying applies in the greater context of everything else but also understand that once you step back from a controlled study you're stepping into this dynamic um, multivariate um, environment and it's a very different different application because i think people get caught up on where's the science where's the science yeah yeah i mean the whole issue for guys like us is that um like i'm I'm in it. I'm in the middle of the field doing it for a very long time and um, and succeeding at it. Um, but what happens in the field is very different to what happens in the lab, as you just said. And um, unfortunately, we're in a, an information age where people generally just go with, you know, the peer-reviewed standard um you know academic type yeah it's a known it's a known quantity and and what a lot of people don't know is when it comes to nutrition especially sports nutrition and sports physiology um there's a journal that'll publish just about anything (laughs) and people don't understand the ranking system how 
rigorously a certain journal is going to peer review something, how industry drives stuff. Um, and then most people don't, don't really understand um, good experimental design. And, and as I've said, you know, 90% of the nutritional and sports, nutri- especially sports nutrition and sports physiology publications out there don't even fall into the realm of, of being considered good experimental design. Hence, not, it's not even science. No, exactly. Um, so, yeah, and what I want to do here is, first of all, make people understand what this whole world of optimizing fat metabolism, as you call it, or fat adaptation, and is about, um, and how there are lots of different branches to the tree that need to be um, basically fixed or, or, or optimized, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, yeah. and how it's a long, the biggest, the biggest, I think, challenge for people, um, Peter, is the reason why it's work, guys like us are so behind it, because we've been in it for a long time, a long enough time to see the benefits. As in, I see guys and girls coming along today and they say things like, yeah, I've been three weeks at it, and I've got a marathon um, next week, um, but I feel awful, and uh, no energy, and uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, look, come back to me next year, um, and, and then we'll talk about, you know, you know, if you're ready to do a marathon in this way or not. Because, you know, the time aspect of how the whole system works is is... Is way longer than the modern person can can sustain because we're we're living in so such a quick fast world these days that people want things people want to click on something and get it immediately you know right 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 and they want a they want a buzzword that's going to give them everything in in a couple of seconds yeah so I I don't agree with a lot of these uh, the you know systems and gurus that are saying. 21 days and you'll be keto fat adapted that's that's i honestly think that is completely i'd say scientifically incorrect and 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 from a performance point of view it's it's wrong you know oh yeah absolutely from a performance standpoint i think i think 21 to 28 days will get somebody through that first phase where they're not climbing the walls. It's, you know, it's basically detox, like, like, you know, an alcoholic goes to an institution or a meth addict or a heroin addict. I mean, that's, that's what the 21 days will do. But (laughs) beyond that, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. And people unfortunately don't like waiting that long, particularly even, I think a lot of the reasons why you don't see it in high level, say Ironman or marathon runners or even cyclists is that like, you know, none of them are really prepared to, to go, you know, 12 months, 24 months of waiting, waiting to get the optimal gains, you know? And yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And, and like a lot of the top athletes in some of these sports who are doing it, they're just not talking about it because it's their competitive edge. Yeah, well, that's the other, I mean, look, look I will tell you that there's a lot of guys I've worked with who, who it has worked for, and they don't really tell it, tell anybody, you know. Um, so there's that aspect of it as well. But 
there is a there is a time element to this and and that's one thing that is stopping the studies from the proper studies studies from doing you know at least the faster study took a long-term adapted low-carb kind of athletes at least that was one of the first studies that did that you know and yep, yep, yep. Those were all guys I, you know, pretty much all those guys were people I work with at one point in the time or another. Yeah. So the time element is a, is a massive factor in all this. But um, but like we said, um, not reducing a very broad subject is what we're, what we're about because unfortunately, you know, there's packets and sachets of various different you know, keto esters, etc., saying, saying you know, it, it'll turn you into a, um, a super keto adapted person in uh, you know a few days. Um, that's you know that's not where that's not what I'm you know that's not what I'm saying or where I'm coming from. And um, well, no, and we're both on that same thing. And, and I think it's important for the audience to to understand that. Uh, I think both Barry and I, and please interject if, if you think differently, but what our focus is, is on optimizing the body's endogenous ability to sustain itself at a high level, the way the evolutionary pressures that shaped us really meant us to be. Um, because we weren't, you know, like I say, you know, primitive man didn't get up in the morning, fix himself a bowl of oatmeal, grab a couple of gels and his spear and go hunting. You know, he got up and went and, um, you know, could could persistence run down prey um, uh, to, to sustain himself. So I think we're, we're the body's very robust and very capable. Um, and, you know, what we do is tweak that end of it rather than inject a bunch of extra calories exogenously. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, so it's a big, it's a big project. It's a big um, system. It's a big uh, factory, and lots of different things have to go together for it to all work properly. And uh, it, there's so many things today that people are missing out on, and um, people are trying to build the factories too quickly without the right materials. And um, you know, I hear these days, I hear more. Uh, failure rates than success stories and it's unfortunate but um you know hopefully you know this is something that we can um help people with and you know we're only glossing over the kind of um subject matter here but yeah yeah this is an introductory uh podcast introducing you and barry and i have been talking uh, quite extensively over the last couple of months and and you know what what we've come to the conclusion is there's only a very few of us who've been doing this for a while and um, we've got to kind of band together because there's a plethora of of people who've done what I call the cut and paste or the copy and paste culture of 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 having success with this and glomming on to it without the base tools of say having a, a university degree in bio physio and biochemistry to to really understand the deeper uh implications and, and just understand what an endless rabbit hole it is and and that it takes a lot of time and effort to explore those 
rabbit holes and, um, you know, that, that certain base um, set of tools to, to understand the implications and think about them and how this applies in the real world. Um, I know that's a mouthful, uh, but what I, I guess in essence what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of well-intended information. I'm not saying that anybody online right now who's got a presence any of these coaches or online gurus who are, who've all of a sudden in the last two or three years become experts at fat adaptation or keto, et cetera, um, mean poorly. They mean well, but they don't realize just how massive this is and how, if not properly done, you know, people can get really bad results. And you, you basically said the same thing I've been seeing is I've seen more and more athletes dig themselves some pretty big deep adrenal holes by trying to be keto and perform. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um uh this this story has never been about ketosis and uh you know I spent several years uh you know looking at all these pathways and looking at all the different enzymes etc and I never really considered the um you know the benefits of, of of ketones to you know to being fat adapted it just it was always just a sideshow for me and now it's what everyone wants to be you know for everyone from Joe Rogan to like uh you know the business executives of um you know the top companies in in Facebook and, and all these they all want to be keto it's like it's kind of funny that they're all latching on to um, a buzzword, a buzzword, a shiny something that's sh- once it's shiny and once it kind of sounds trendy and once uh, a guy like Joe Rogan is, is saying it's good, it's suddenly um, yeah, it's suddenly a, um, a brand and it's suddenly a, a thing that that people think is is good, you know. Right. And, and I think I think it's important also for the audience to understand that, that we're not knocking keto. Um, I think we understand on a, on a level that's probably a little bit more intimate in terms of the athletic performance than most people do because we're working with it. And, and ketones are really ketones don't do play a role. But but the biggest role that they play is that they're really a proxy and a marker for something much more profound going on, which is beta oxidation. Um, and of course, beta oxidation isn't as sexy and it's, it's polysyllabic. So it doesn't roll off your tongue and, you know, because it hasn't been out there and it's not something that's easy to, to measure because beta oxidation occurs on a mitochondrial level. Um, it doesn't get the, the press that yeah. it should get. An interesting thing somebody told me is that they said, like, Barry, the reason why fat, you know, fat adaptation isn't, isn't popular because of the word fat. People are scared of the word fat. And I only, real, I only realized that, you know, keto and keto adapted is actually just, like you said, it's more pleasant to the ear and it doesn't include the word fat, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I guess okay. also just kind of, I guess one thing to wrap, to kind of finish up on here, Peter, is that we're not claiming, or I'm certainly not claiming I know everything and there's already some, um, you know, new research that I'm kind of interested in related to, to, to ketosis in terms of things like, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory 
um, molecules coming, you know, being produced, you know, endogenous, endogenous anti-inflammatory molecules. Um, there's some interesting stuff from a, you know, uh, certainly from a cognitive aspect as well. Um, and then, you know, another area that was mentioned, I think, by Volok and Finney in one of their recent studies or reviews was about the pentose phosphate pathway. Um, so, you know, what I will say is there's a lot more to this than, you know, than people think. And even guys like me, I'm still not fully sure of everything and I'm still learning. I think there's, uh, you know, and I haven't even gone down the kind of, the, let's call it the Dr. Jack Cruz side of things in terms of how he's looking at the quantum physics of what goes on inside our, our mitochondria. So, you know, what I will say is <laughs> there's, there's still, the body is clever and we still don't know how it really works. Um, so, you know, what we need to keep doing is keep our eyes open and keep and not keep reducing things and not keep blaming things on very isolated things like, oh, I didn't eat enough carbs. So that's the reason why I was uh, I, I underperformed, you know, or I didn't eat enough fat. That's the reason why I'm not uh, fat adapted or whatever, you know, um, that, you know, that that's. That's what I will, all I will say is that there's 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 a lot more to this, and I'm certainly still learning myself, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I always say, the more I learn, the less I know, and and I, I think we both feel comfortable and competent with what we're doing, but we also know just how much is out there and and how much one has to be aware of, and that's where somebody who's come along in the last couple of years, um, particularly if they have a huge presence on the internet. It just seems, you know, it seems kind of curious to me how they seem to know it all about this and use these simple, can reduce it down to these simple terms. Because, you know, I talk to Steve Finney at length, usually once a month, and we toss ideas in the air. And, and you know, here's somebody who's genius level. I mean, Steve is, is, is truly a genius. And, um, you know, his career spans, you know, multiple decades in this and, and he's still trying to figure things out and there's certain aspects and, and, and he's focused on just that one aspect of, of nutritional ketosis and how it applies to things like type two diabetes and, and, you know, his pet love is the sports performance, but, you know, he's not looking at, at real world, stuff in terms of sports performance he's looking in terms of right now his focus is reversing type 2 diabetes with his company verda so going back this you know there here's somebody with with decades of experience and, and considered the obi-wan kenobi of of ketosis and yet you know that's that's somebody who i think has a pretty good sound piece of knowledge in his his area of expertise so it, it just kind of is a little bit of a, a leap for me to consider that all the Johnny come latelys, um, you know, can have a definitive guide to fat adaptation or ketosis, you know, posted in one internet blog post. Yeah, I mean, everyone, we've got self-confessed 
that's what you can do on the internet these days. You can uh, just, you know, be a self-confessed guru with anything you want to be. <laughs> so that's the unfortunate aspect of uh, online. Yeah, our, online yeah, our, cop, our, our copy and paste culture. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, I mean, like I said, uh, hopefully, you know, what we'll do going on from this is, uh, you know, structure things better in terms of, the different areas, the different subjects, the different topics, and the pieces of the puzzle that really need to be looked at. Um, these are these are hopefully things we can uh, get into as we go along. Yeah, yeah. Now, our idea is to break these down into different areas of, of fat adaptation and and kind of give an overview so that people have a general idea of what's going on, but but also recognize how complex and, and interrelated each piece is to the other and try to bring these together. Um, and, and I think also the other thing is, is, you know, we've been talking about how complex this is because we sit there and just wonder, like Barry and I are talking and throwing ideas in the air about the central governor versus insulin sensitivity and GLUT4 and GLUT2 transporters into muscle cells for, for glucose. And, there's just so much to do, but at the same time, if you follow, use nature and like I say, the evolutionary pressures that shaped us as humans over millennia, not, not in the last 150, 200 years, but those millennia we evolved as humans or were designed for as humans. Um, it's actually all this complexity actually is very doable in the context of the real world. Um, not the not the world we live in, but the real world that we're that evolution or evolution or intelligent design, wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, shaped us to be. So you know that's that's part of I think what both Barry and I do is is get athletes to you know eat real foods, to eat the foods that humans were designed for in the right um, balance of real foods, not counting macros, weighing, doing calories. Um, but just in a very organic sense that, that makes this very doable. Yeah, I mean, um, what I'll do here, because I'm actually wrapping up here for dinner, Peter, but uh, I'll, I'll leave with an, an, an Albert Einstein quote. And he, he's one of, one of the ones I love is he says is that everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. So that's what I, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's what I feel fat adaptation should should that's how it should be addressed you know yeah and i think i think as i said before beta oxidation occurs on a mitochondrial scale and and humans who like to study things in, in our conscious binary minds we want to measure stuff and so we measure what we can measure and i think that's another reason why ketosis and keto has taken off is we can measure ketones we can't we have a hard time measuring beta oxidation because it goes inside the mitochondria and that's the big deal and 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 so things get measured. And, and as you know, there's, we use the science to help guide us, both Barry and I, but, but it's really as much an art as it is a science. And I, I remember when I was reviewing um, Dr. Finian Volokh's first book, that was sort of, you know, they, were, they had a working title. And I, I remember in my notes, I, I sent them this thing that it's, it's part of this art and science. And that's how they came up with the art and science of low carbohydrate living thing, because as much as there is science, it's not this engineered 
um, pathway. It, there's we use some engineering to give structure and form, but there there's a lot of art, and that's the beauty of of also being human and and but and but that's also the beauty of nature. Okay. Yep. Sorry, Peter. I'm going to have to leave you yep. here. Um, Barry, thanks very much. We'll be in touch, and uh, let's uh, keep on the conversation. Okay. Cool. Until next time. All right. Bye-bye. You were listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.